I also noticed that there were so many people who were lost. They were like, I know I don't want to be a part of that anymore. So now what do I do? And I felt so much compassion for that because I was like, oh, there it is. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Exvangelical Podcast, where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. If it means refusing to conform to toxic, harmful expressions of faith. We address your questions about God, politics, how we got here, and how to move forward. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, spiritual seekers, and activists in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. We're your hosts, Melanie and Gary Ellen, and this is Holy Heretics. Last week, we started a discussion with C. Davis, the woman behind the accounts Deconstructing Black and Deconstructing Colors. And we talked about deconstruction, race, the church, and how to build bridges. And this week, we're continuing that discussion. So if you haven't yet listened to that episode, we highly recommend going back and listening to that first and then coming back to this one. C., it's really great to have you back. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you. So last time we sort of ended with something that I want to pick up with because it just happened to me and my guess is it happens to you all the time. You mentioned the whole notion of systems and systemic injustice. And this was a conversation that I was having with some college buddies of mine about systemic racism. And it was fascinating to me because every one of them on the text thread started chiming in to me when I when I mentioned the whole concept of America having a a system of injustice, a system of uh racial oppression. They all said, what what system? You know, what what injustice? And they began to to really ask me to prove to them that there are in fact two Americas, that there is a system built on the marginalization and oppression of African Americans, and there is a system built on the um, the privileged white folks. And of course, we were all the privileged white folks, but it was kind of a light bulb moment for me. This this was just one single time. And honestly, if they didn't believe it existed at the end of the conversation, it really wouldn't have been any skin off my back because the system is built to benefit me. But what I realized is that this is an experience you and every other marginalized person has had over and over and over again to deal with. And that each of you does have skin in the game because it affects your very lives. So do you ever get tired of of white people, white Christians coming up to you and asking you to prove that your reality is in fact reality, that, that you as a black woman truly do live in an alternative universe that's built on your marginalization and built on your exclusion? And and if so, what do you say to, to those of us who still refuse to see or accept the nature of the social and the economic, the political and the justice systems that are bent on your oppression? I, I know I, I ask like 14 questions there, but... <laughs> well, um, don't worry. I would answer um, all of them with um, two things. <laughs> yeah, please, please do. Please do. Go for it. One, you can watch old 80s commercials on YouTube and see how the world was operating. And I say 80s because during the 80s, lots of redlining and the war on drugs was going on specifically targeting our communities. Mm. 
the results from that are apparent in the 90s, where there was a lot of Black folks that didn't have home ownership. A lot of Black people who weren't economically stable, not as stable as other communities. In the 90s, 40 or so years after the Civil Rights Movement, you know. But when we're talking about a system, there's a book that I read that I literally have to, I still haven't finished it because I have to energetically prepare myself for reading it because it is the most ignorant book I've ever read in my life. (laughs) But I'm going to read a little excerpt from it for you says, we now turn to the Negroes in the free states. This is a colonized um, area. A specific writer named Charles Colcock Jones is writing this to other clergymen to make sure that they permeate the Black communities and um, keep them under control. Slavery at this time was abolished, but they were still being um, marginalized. So here he says, in our remarks on the duty affording them the gospel need not be protracted after what has been said. It is the duty of the white churches in the free states to afford the gospel to the Negroes for the following plain reasons, among others. Because of their general poverty, they are, as a class, a poor people, among, if not the poor of the land, and consequently are not able to give suitable encouragement to the institutions of religion, not able to build churches, support ministers, or buy books and maintain Sabbath schools. The means must come from purses other than their own. Such has been the fact in the majority of instances where the gospel has received inadequate support among them. More than the majority have little or nothing to give. They barely make out to obtain the necessities of life. Two, because of their moral degradation. Mm -hmm. This has been in a measure demonstrated. The statements already made need not be repeated. They are a proper field for missionary effort and have been to a great extent very strangely overlooked. Such a mass of ignorance and vice can in no way be desirable in any community, whether we view them in a civil or religious light. Their corrupting influence in cities where they chiefly congregate has never been inquired into nor duly appreciated. Because of their entire dependence upon the whites for their very improvement, they have almost no spirit of moral improvement among themselves. It is not to be expected from them considering their character and circumstances. I have to stop there. I mean, I'm so glad we're not doing video right now because I was making a horrendous face that whole, like... I it it, uh, it 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 wells up in me. It, it like makes me tear up. So I'm sure, but it's it's the white man's burden, right? You know, it's it's the white man who has come to save. You see, it, it's it's staggering that this is what the country was built on. 
this is a man who was among the founders, you know, and when the nation had removed slavery, they were still building the nation. And this is how they built it. This is what they painted us as from the very beginning. You want proof? Read the religious instruction of the Negroes in the United States by Charles Colcock Jones. Mm. Start there. Mm. And it's literal. What gets me is this man wrote this knowing we were poor, knowing we were disadvantaged, knowing we were in a weak state, and snaking in to make it worse. To make us even more dependent on the communities around us. And this is why we now you're hearing what we've been saying for many, many, many years. But this is why we were saying, look, you guys have to do something. Because everything that we've had taken away from us still has not been fully replenished. Mm -hmm. Yes, black president. Great. However, he is not in my home right now. (laughs) He's not paying any of my bills. Mm. You know, he's not feeding my child. He's not going to job interviews with me. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool to walk in there with Obama. <laughs> yeah, mic drop. <laughs> but I mean, that didn't help me as a human being. Mm. I am still. In America, I was born here. More than likely, I will pass on to the next realm here. (laughs) And I feel like this. In this age of information, the window of passing this information on is too important. We could stay this way another 20, 30, 40, even 50 years. But I don't want that. And that's what drives me. Hmm. So I want to ask you a question because what you just read was something that is a document from our founding fathers. And this also comes up, uh, I'm sure it does for you. It also comes up for those of us who are trying to be allies for racial um, reconciliation. It's, well, you know, that stuff was in the past. Oh, sure. We had black slavery, and yes, there was segregation, and Jim Crow, and sharecropping, and all that, but that's done now. That That's in the past, and and yet, and yet... <laughs> Shall we, we get a little closer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can get and, a little closer. Right, and so we see, at least, and in particular in the church, 81% of evangelicals voted for an openly avowed racist, one of the most openly racist politicians that I can remember. We also saw both white evangelicals and white conservatives at large begin to support all lives matter as opposed to black lives matter. We see them dissing black sports uh, stars who kneel in protest against police brutality. So when all of that is still going on, what do you feel? What does that do to your soul? And how, as Melanie has asked you two or three times already in this, this, this series, how do you keep from hating the people who seem to want you gone? 
Okay, this is going to be terribly controversial. <laughs> My opinions on Trump are not because um, I don't know him. Mm. I know politics to a degree because of what my brother's been through and what we're going through with him now. I know entertainment very well. And what happened with Trump looked like the entertainment industry to me. That's interesting. I was in the entertainment industry briefly. My father is a musician. He's played in many bands. So the setup of, and like I was saying before, the the news, you know, so-called news, <laughs> or the perspective shows <laughs> is what I call them. Uh, you look at Fox on one story, and you'll look up the same story on CNN, and it's two different perspectives and no facts being assigned. Mm. There's a reason for that. I looked up actual White House footage of some of Trump's speeches, and he was not conveyed accurately. Hmm. It's the truth. It is, it's, it's the truth. He was not conveyed accurately. He knows how media works, though. So my baffle was with the idea that he knows how it operates. So how can he convey the messages that he's trying to convey? Because I did see a video where he did say, I do condemn racism from his mouth. Yeah, I saw that too, by the way. That's when I was like, oh, wow, they're still playing both sides. They're still mm. put pitting us against each other. Mm. It's all an advertisement. <laughs> all of it is. That's why I, my aim for togetherness starts with everyone meeting one another directly. I'm talking to you, you talking to me, we going to, you know, have a barbecue at our house. That is what we need. Hmm. Turn off the TV, put down the phone, because that is a huge part of the problem, if not the number one, because it's feeding the ignorance uh, that we have of one another, because it's giving the illusion of knowledge. It's giving the illusion of being knowledgeable. Well, the statistics say, stop looking at the statistics, please. <laughs> and why would we be concerned about the statistics when we are trying to be the statistics? Hmm. We can choose what statistics we are if we stop reading all of this stuff and consuming it and taking pieces of it and attaching it to ourselves. That's what's happening. When I put down the news and the, and I, I've never been a big news person to begin with, but I noticed because I've been away from being, you know, in that information and, and, and feeding that to myself, I can see it. And you don't see it when you're consuming it. It's just like that lady who was um, in a Target tearing out masks and stuff. Oh, gosh. <laughs> And I had a feeling that her tune would change. So I wasn't surprised when she was on NPR and she was talking about how she really wishes that she hadn't. She really mm -hmm. drank the Kool-Aid and wished she hadn't picked up the cup. And she was encouraging everyone, stay away from the news, get off the websites, because that's where the problem is. 
start talking to your neighbor. <laughs> you know, make friends with people that you've never made friends with before. Ask them about themselves. And I think I was talking about before how my husband talks to people and asks them questions about themselves. And we find out so many unique things. That's the thing. Like, everybody's missing out on each other's gifts. It's so unfair. It's really, really unfair. If I think about all of the great African-Americans there have been who did break through and did get their opportunity to, to use their talent or gift or do something great, I think about the ones who didn't and how far our country would be if they had. I think about the white community that was supreme and keeping things, you know, the way they were comfortable with and, and how they didn't see that part. They didn't see that, no, if you let us flourish, we're actually going to benefit you and us. Hmm. See, it wasn't just Black Wall Street. It was Rosewood. It was Allensworth and many more. There were quite a few neighborhoods, quite a few Black neighborhoods that arose in certain times and they were flourishing. There were a few Black millionaires here and there, doing well. But someone would come along and say, well, isn't this a little too much for you? Let me take this off your hands. I'll give you a fair price. So now when somebody asks you, where is the evidence? Well, my grandparents couldn't buy land. More than likely, they barely could read. So anybody who can't read a contract or understand how contracts work, they're not going to pursue a business. Therefore, there's no legacy for them to pass down to me. And hence, 20, 30 years later, I'm born and I have no inheritance. So I have to start from scratch because of impositions of days past. So. Your proof is is there. You know, if you don't want to see it, okay. <laughs> uh, at the very least, at the very least, have a barbecue and invite some some folks over that ain't like you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know where to find them anymore. That's part of the problem. <laughs> They're still so segregated that it's like. You know, to say like, hmm. oh, well, go talk to your Native American friends or go talk to your Hispanic friends or go talk to your, you know, people are like, uh, what you mean? Yeah. You mean the one, yeah. the token person of color at my <laughs> church or, you know, and, and we don't even know how to get there. Um, and, and that brought up a yeah. question for me because I think there's this mm -hmm. thing that happened is happening right now where there's a lot of people who, and you probably have seen this because of the deconstruction community. A lot of us started deconstructing for various reasons, but I think a lot of us started because of things like George Floyd's death or mm. murder, I should say, um, and started realizing like, oh, our eyes started being opened, right? And so now we're at this point mm -hmm. of like, well, I want nothing to do with that system. Like, I don't want to be on that side anymore. I want to be part of the solution. But then mm -hmm. there comes this pressure all of a sudden to like know everything and have all the answers and like be totally fully woke and like never mess up. 
if that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I've seen this happen where people might say something just that is racist without having any clue that it is because racism has been so normalized for so long that like there's just, you know, it, mm-hmm. kind of going back to what you said in the first episode, someone mm-hmm. asking you about your hair, like people don't even realize like what this doesn't make any sense to ask someone about their hair when you don't even know each other. (laughs) And so then what happens is like when they do get called out, it becomes like so embarrassing and almost like crippling. Oh, even try. Like, why am I even doing this if, and that's where, that's where I, that's, that's exactly why I, I started doing this. One, first of all, I started doing the two Instagram pages because I saw there was no people like me in that community doing anything. And I also noticed that there were so many people who were lost. They were like, I know I don't want to be a part of that anymore. So now what do I do? Right. And I felt so much compassion for that because I was like, oh, there it is, you know. You you have some, you have compassion. You do. I saw everyone's humanity, my people's humanity, and I saw that everyone is my people. <laughs> hmm. And I was like, okay, well, um, maybe I should just start a page just to see if anybody, you know, just wants to know they're not by themselves. And I didn't think much would come of it, but when I saw more people coming in and more people hitting follow. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> it's like a, and, and I'm a simple living gal. I just wanted to help. In some ways, it, it's showing that I have. Some folks have come to me in my DMs and said, oh, thank you, you know, for doing this. A few other accounts started up because they were like, well, now I see you're doing it. (laughs) Mm. I'm going to go ahead and do one. Mm. You know, that's why I did it initially. The other part was, yeah, what do you, how do you do this? How do you go and get a, you know, more black friends? Well, you know, it's, it's really about, it's, it's all in the head. It's all in your head. In some ways you have to seek out new interests. In some ways, uh, you have to just branch out. I guess what that looks like is uh, go to a black church, <laughs> go to a black church, mm. and uh, you know, ask them what they're doing after. You know, are you guys going to Denny's or what? I mean, it, <laughs> go to go to uh, a movie that has uh, black leads in it we'll be there <laughs> supporting mm. you know go to juneteenth celebrations mm. celebrate with us yeah yeah that's it celebrate with us mm. you just keep reaching out you gotta also understand like i said when we go out in public we don't know who or when you know, we don't know when we're going to face someone we can't trust. So there's a trust factor there, and you just have to be trustworthy. 
that takes time. And it's like you were saying, it's an instant thing where you really want everything to just flip and change, you know? But this thing happened over hundreds of years. This isn't going to change overnight. You're going to have to have the same patience we have had. So it's a boomerang. It's a return of uh, that acknowledgement of waiting. We've waited for justice. We've waited so long for um, our humanity to be recognized. And now that those we've been trying to bring in want to, it's just a fair energy exchange of patience. Patience for patience. Mm. So don't give up. We didn't give up on (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Don't give up. Keep pursuing it. And at the moment, what you really want in your life will start meeting up with you. It's just a natural effect of somebody who is trying to be open to other cultures and um, backgrounds, people. It will happen. You just got to know that as long as you leave your door open, that stray cat going to walk in. (laughs) (laughs) They going to walk in. And um, there's plenty of us out here that like doing things that, well, used to be quote unquote white people shit. (laughs) We do. (laughs) I like, you know, hiking used to be like if you told a black person, I'm going hiking, hiking. (laughs) 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 We go, we go for a walk around the block. I ain't going to no trees. A bear might come out at you. And, you know, <laughs> white people don't be doing that stuff. That's why, you know, they be in the woods getting caught by Jason. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the kind of conversations we used to have. Now, my family, we go on a monthly hike together as a family. And if you happen to see me out and about, you can say hi. And if we tell you, oh, we barbecuing after this walk because it's been long and we hungry. And if y'all want to come along, you certainly can, because that's how we are. Mm. If you keep branching out and keep reaching out, you're going to meet us. We've always been open people. You know, you've got to let go of the fear. You've got to let go of the apprehension. You know, you've got to let go of the impatience. Just relax. I tell everybody all the time, relax. You're just making friends. Mm. It should be fun. You know, it should be an adventure for you. It shouldn't be a, oh, I don't know if I'm going to say the right or wrong thing. You're really not going to say the wrong thing because you know what you're not going to do? You're not going to immediately start talking about race when you meet that person. (laughs) Let's hope not. (laughs) Right. You're not immediately going to be talking, asking them questions about their experience and what is it like? And no, you're not going to go into that because you don't need to. Because eventually you're going to see that if you spend enough time with them. I've had um, my first long term best friend was a white boy. And uh, just a little, maybe a, a few months back before we moved to Georgia. We got to hang out and have lunch because we reconnected. I was so glad I found him. He just happened to be on Facebook. 
And he was like the best friend I ever had. Hmm. And we did not have to talk about race for him to understand me. He just saw my humanity and hung out with me. And we had good laughs and we had great times. And he almost broke my back on that doggone hammock in the backyard of his grandma's house. I, ugh, that thing hurt. <laughs> but it was funny. <laughs> it hurt, but it was hilarious. Moments like that. Moments like that are what get you to get to know that person. And eventually their perspective starts to kind of by osmosis or some kind of airborne thing. It gets into you and you begin to understand them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, at this point, patience is the number one thing. Everything you're saying kind of reminds me of when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote about the negative piece, which was um, mm-hmm. the absence of tension versus the positive piece, which was the presence of justice. Mm-hmm. You know, and it sounds like and this sounds so like obvious when you say it out loud, but I think it just gets muddled when we get into the relational side of things. It just sounds like what you're saying is there's going to be tension simply yeah. by virtue of the fact that we have been so divided. But instead of running from that tension, walk through it, get through it. Because on the other side of that is a truer peace and a truer just a presence of justice and, and like seeing the humanity in everyone. But if you just every time things get tough or tense or awkward and you run away, then you're mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's not a real peace, you know? Does that make it's sense? A t- it's a testament, too, to, uh, to the plight of white people. And I say plight because it, it's, a, it's, it's an all-out fact that us as Black people or people of color going through discriminatory things made us a little more tough-skinned. It did. That, that is a truth. It did. And I say that because in comparison to how white people respond to tensions, that's where them Karens be happening. Uh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, you know, the shrimp was too cold and she's got to raise a whole ruckus. You know mm. what I mean? Like, it's those kinds of situations make it apparent on how life has been for white people. The absence of tension in the way everyone else experiences it is unfamiliar so it looks awful it feels horrible because it's something that you weren't accustomed to to us it's oh you get an attitude with me all right cool i'll come back tomorrow (laughs) you know (laughs) but when you guys get that tension it's like oh we hold grudges for like Years. Oh, why did she say yeah. that to me? Yeah. <laughs> and why she have to say it like that? She must. What did I do? She hates me. She she asked, you, you know, it, it goes from like, oh, there was some tension to like World War <laughs> three in three seconds. I feel like that's, <laughs> that's how it works. for. And that's what that. But see, this is where my compassion comes from, too, because I see it the same way I see a little baby, a little child. Like a little two-year-old, like my daughter. You know those trees that have those little pokey things that fall down? Um, I think my husband said they were like gum trees or something like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. 
And, and she was petrified and terrified of them things. I mean, she would scream Bloody Mary like somebody was killing her. And I'd be like, girl, please, I don't want nobody to call the cops on me. Like, do you think I'm hurting you? She would, I mean, she would let loose. And, you know, she would just freak out about something that was so small to me, but to her, it was foreign. And so I, that compassion comes up in me because I see how foreign this experience is for, for white people too. There's a certain life that they used to. And that's why I said the January 6th situation, lots of fear, the lack of being used to, you know, that comfortableness of knowing things are just going to roll your way. You'll have some challenges, but eventually it'll fall right where you want it to. You'll still be able to land on your feet. But they didn't see that happening. At that moment, it was, oh, my God, it's all over. Everything that we done built, everything that's us is gone. That's what they were seeing. And instead of seeing, wait a minute, this is an opportunity for us to recognize, you know, we are both being played here and we need to just come together between us. We need to drop all of this political stuff long enough, just long enough to get to know each other and be in this country as a nation and not just as factions and sections mm. and uh, groups of people. I always get this picture when people are going back and forth about their views politically, you know. I get this picture of a basketball team playing against another team, but then they start playing against each other. <laughs> Can you imagine the Lakers mm. playing, you know, the Magic or another team, right? And all of a sudden, you know, they get irate with each other. And <laughs> one of the Lakers passes the ball to Magic and says, ah! <laughs> you know? <laughs> Can you imagine that game? Like, in the whole game, all quarters, they're play playing against their own team. That's what I see when I see that happening. Like, what are you doing? We're here. We're still, we're here. We're paying, you know, you're complaining about the taxes. We, we paying taxes too. <laughs> <laughs> and a majority of the time, we ain't got nothing to show for it. Well, I was going to say, and, and you're actually not benefiting from the taxes. Mm. You uh, really aren't. None of us especially are. Especially when it relates to like what schools go where <laughs> and public. <sighs> yeah, come on. Yeah, exactly. I have a white neighbor and I just went over to her, um, got to meet her for the first time since I've been here. And she says she has her son going to a specific school because the school that he was going to before, it was awful. Is she white? My daughter's going to the same school. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out which school she's going to go to next because I can't stand it either. But we both stuck with the same school. You know, we, we're dealing with the same mm, thing. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that the school, if I go up to the school and she goes up to the school, we both might or might not be treated differently. That's the thing. So I'm not always experiencing overt racism, but that's the scary part. You know, I, I could go up there and I, I don't know 
You know, I'm not sure if something's going to happen. <laughs> you know, if they're going to, you know, call security and say, ma'am, you know, <laughs> get off the premises. You know, I, mm. I don't know if that's going to happen or not in each instant of my life. But we're dealing with the same thing in the end. Because we can go back to that, that commonality that uh, even if she's treated differently at that school, we're still dealing with a school that isn't being fair. Mm. And that needs to be remedied for everyone because it's kind of like, you know, like two thieves working together, you know, Can you really trust a thief? No, (laughs) you can't. They steal and they, they hide their stealing. So if you think that um, just because you're not experiencing something that it's not going to trickle to you in some way, if you think that this untrustworthy person who just, you know, sabotaged my job, you can trust them. But they just did something untrustworthy, period. They can't be trusted. Hmm. Why do you feel comfortable being around that? Why do you feel comfortable and okay and thinking that, oh, they're not going to do that to me? Hmm. There's something to that. I mean, the, the, these things, you know, came up. And then when you go into faith, you realize just how ingrained the principles you know, that are taught and in the way that they're taught permeate the system outside the church walls. Mm. The idea, not me, not going to happen to me. I have this, you know, I've got, I've, I've got my stature. I've, you know, my family's been here for this many years. All of us are police officers. All of us were in the military. You know, all of us went to this school. I kind of, you know, and I know that doesn't happen for everybody, but that is a legacy that a lot of Black people, people of color, can't speak on because the knowledge of how this system works was never granted to us. We literally had to go out and find it. So those who were great, those who did great, amazing things, they really are great. They are extremely phenomenal. (laughs) Because when you think of... um, like the women who were in that, uh, that, that movie about the um, NASA and um, they were math whizzes. Hidden something? Hidden figures, yes. Oh, there we go. The things they went through to prove themselves, hmm. the opposition and the tension they had to deal with. And then now we're dealing with, um, you know, the voter suppression situation. Right. There's always something that comes up, something. You know, and, and when, we, when we push through it, we, we celebrate it. We never really, really look at the fact that, you know, we just push through, but we push through more than what the average person would have to get to where we are. Hmm. So there's, you know, there's the oppression part, but then there's the part where we need to look at the fact that we really did some amazing things. It's a it's a balance, but oh, I, that's what I wanted to get into is the voter suppression thing. You know, I'm I miss mentioning that when the the person who was asking for proof, there was a situation in the 1980s because um, segregation ended, but 
even though the laws change people's mentality and perspective didn't. <laughs> well, that's why so many Christian private schools were created during that era. Mm-hmm. It was it was their own version of segregation, right? Yes. Yes. There's always a workaround, right? Right. When the slaves were freed, there was a workaround to that sharecropping. And then the chain gangs. You know, the law that if you're not working and you're a Negro, you go to jail. And then the idea that nobody's going to hire you because you're a Negro. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but the Voting Rights Act was, you know, put in place. And yet, in 1985, attorney Jeff Sessions went against Black voting rights activists claiming voter fraud. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> 1985, he insisted, we will respond to any substantiated charge of vote fraud against whites or black. Of course he's going to say that to the public. If he said anything else, it was against the act that was passed. It would be illegal for him to, you know, do something to prevent others from voting for any other reason other than, you know, pursuing fraud. (laughs) Voter caging, sending mail to addresses on the voter rolls and putting voter names on lists where they don't reside so they can't find where they're supposed to be voting. Anytime something, you know, imperative was happening that would have supported something in our communities, they went to the voter fraud. They would go... And, and pull that out. Workarounds. And that's why earlier I was saying I understand now how this system operates and how politics work and how people are being, you know, they're being put on the sh- chessboard. Everyone. Everyone is being put on the chessboard and moved around in a way that benefits a very chosen few. That's the hard part. But when I realized that, you know, that's what put me where I am now with togetherness. It's just that simple. Mm. We're the majority. We are the ones that have the power. There have been so many great people who have said it. Prince said it. Michael Jackson said it. That we're the ones who have the pool, you know. And if we start to realize that, then... um yeah, things will change, and then pretty quickly, too. So with that, in terms of change, I mean, we could continue for hours, I think, talking about race, yeah. <laughs> n- not only not only in the church, but also outside of the church, obviously. And mm-hmm. I- I'm just amazed at your ability to bring people together on on a topic that really is divisive, even if you're even if you're trying, you know, I mean, even for me, who. I see racism, it makes me angry. I see people who are racist, it makes me angry. And my first thought isn't to bring them together, to have them over for a barbecue, to go on a hike with them. My my no. first thought is, you know, to be aggressive to be aggressive. And so I have been convicted by mm-hmm. your spirit, by your compassion, by your invitation for all of us to simply lay down our weapons and, and come together. When when you look at the the future. Uh, the future of America as it relates to race, what gives you hope? 
uh, in in looking at that future. Folks like y'all, <laughs> when people just listen and say they're trying, say they want it, that's a spark right there. Mm-hmm. And if I got me a match, I'm going to light it. You know, I look for sparks. I look for the glimmer. And then I jump on it. I just take advantage of it as best as I can. I was thinking about how you said that you just want to, <laughs> you know, let somebody have it if they're racist. Mm-hmm. And that that's a testament too. I noticed that about white folks. They're like, well, I want to make sure that I don't make this conversation about me. I didn't understand that until after a few times of hearing it. And I realized, oh, they really, they know that that is what it ends up being over time. That it'll start out as a revolution and then it'll end up something else, you know, all, all over again. So you guys know the pattern. And you're exposing it, and I'm glad and grateful for it. I thought about having like an anonymous post about backroom white people conversations. Like, what is the worst <laughs> thing you ever heard one of your family members or a white person say oh, outside of the presence of a black person oh, boy. Or, or a person of color oh. or a gay person? But I think it should be. I think it should be exposed. I think we should know that, you know, we're heard and that we're not crazy because that's the thing. We're walking around here as people of color saying, hey, we're being discriminated against. And then people come along and then folks like Candace Owens comes along and says, hey, no, no, we're not. You know, then you're thinking, well, is it in my head or is it worth fighting for? Is it it starts throwing in that wrench, Mm. you know, that it's like it makes things murky all of a sudden. So now I understand why you guys are like, I'd be pissed off at somebody who's, you know, racist because you know, you know what happens. You know what the truth is. You know what's really going on. You're, you're, um, and on top of that, you're even more aware of it now because of your decision to educate yourself more about it and exactly what it means to hold on to something like that. It's actual detriment to humanity as a whole Mm. but that gives me hope at the same time because you guys are putting it out there that yes this is this is it is as serious as you say and to hear somebody say that is definitely encouraging Mm. because that's ultimately what we were asking for Mm. the other thing I noticed is that whenever we say equality it filters through the ear of someone who's not ready to listen. And when it filters out, it comes out as superiority. Hmm. They think we want to be above hmm. all of a sudden. Those words were never spoken. Like, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they were never spoken. It, it was in their mind. They equate fairness, justice, and equality with being superior. That that is only for the superior. I don't believe that. And it's nice to know there's people out there that that feel the same way I do. Mm. Mm. Well, I appreciate your kind words, but more than anything, like Gary Allen said, 
I appreciate your compassion and your heart and your ability to rise above the division and the anger or frustration or disillusionment or any of the things that would be very natural. Um, and your, your willingness to continue working through the tension with those of us who are just now finally waking up to this reality. So thank you for all your time talking about such weighty topics, um, but topics that need to be talked about. Um, and we do have one last thing. If you're game Mm -hmm. for it, we like to try to ask just some fun, quick rapid fire questions at the end, just personal, nothing, nothing crazy, just fun. Um, so (laughs) do you, do you feel up for that? Sure. Okay. Sure. It, uh, we're just going to ask a few questions and then just respond with whatever's on the top of your mind. And that's okay. it. All right. First question. Who's one of your heroes and why? Oh, oh James Baldwin. Mm. His um, ability to convey messages um, to the white community about our plights, his eloquence and his uh, bravery. And I have a signed book from him. Mm. Oh, wow. Good for you. All right. So besides um, White Karen asking you about your hair, what is (laughs) the best compliment you've ever received? (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, Oh, anything from my husband when he tells me, because I know he means it. Mm. (laughs) He don't say nothing he don't mean. And um, when he says, girl, you look good, or, you know, like, that's the ultimate. But from a stranger, when I wear my Afro, the other day when we were in town at the little olive oil store and the little square, I got so many compliments on my hair. Well, see, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, for you, what is the best thing about living in the South? Where there's so much to love. Um, the people, the ambiance, the nature, and specifically because of where we live. You can still get a little piece of simple life. Hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, last question. What? What makes you laugh, no matter what? Tony Baker videos. <laughs> <laughs> when he makes those animals talk, it's like, it's like you really think, like, they, they're really saying, they probably are really saying that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I love watching nature. Um, I watch the squirrels. Squirrels make me laugh. Mm. <laughs> I The way they move, they're just nutty and, oh, Pun unintended. Pun, I know, I <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't even catch it. <laughs> but yes, oh. every time I see a squirrel in the yard, I, I do that thing from up and I just say, squirrel. <laughs> just, yeah. You know. yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. yeah. Well, hey, we just want to say thank you so much for your time, for um, your ability to put into words what many of us are feeling, but also to call us to more beautiful conversations about race. And for those who have been inspired by what you've said, um, where can they follow you online or where mm-hmm. can they find out more about uh, your mission and your cause to to continue these conversations? Well, I recommend um, following 
deconstructing colors on Instagram first, because that's where I'm going to have a lot of the information, a lot of my initiatives. And then if you want to, you can follow Deconstructing Black um, as well. My real aim is to get that information out there so everybody learns about one another. And um, I do have a cash app and my cash app goes to a lot of causes that I want to pursue um, for the community, the different communities that I want to elevate. And that's everybody. Um, so that's um, dollar sign deconstructing BLK. Um, if anybody wants to add to that um, so that we can do some things, that would be awesome. Mm. Yeah. I'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes as well so that everybody can find it easily and in one place um, because everybody should follow her and everybody should join her in her causes because they're from our experience of following you and seeing your content and your heart. We know that you find very worthy causes. So thank you so much for joining us today. See, and last week, this, this has been invaluable like i said at the very beginning your voice is invaluable and we're just grateful that you have given us your time and your heart and your compassion it means a lot to us thank you same here i appreciate it (laughs) (laughs) thank you thanks to c for this lovely conversation and also thanks to you guys for listening race Inside the evangelical church and even just in America in general is something we do want to talk about more. And um, we hope to have lots of episodes about the nuances within there uh, in the future, especially in season two. With that said, if you know of someone who would be a great guest to talk about some of these nuances, especially someone who is a person of color who has a kind, loving perspective to offer, one that could push all of us toward more compassion and more love, we would love to get connected with them. So if you know of someone like that, either DM us on Instagram or feel free to send us an email at podcast at sophiasociety.org. And Sophia is spelled S-O-P-H-I-A. We would be very grateful for that. So if you know of anyone, please send them our way. And finally, if you haven't heard, it's just me and Gary Allen here doing this podcast. And it takes a ton of time and effort and work. And it also takes money because all these different programs that we use to record and publish and everything cost a subscription every month. So if you like what we're doing and you want us to continue having these interesting and nuanced conversations, please consider either supporting us on Patreon And you can get each episode five days early by doing so. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash holyheretics. Or if you just want to give us a one-time thing, help us continue doing this by buying us a coffee or a pizza or a beer, we now have a Buy Me a Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com slash holyheretics. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes and sound engineering is by Joshua Mudge. 